We are on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling, joined by the Associate Editor of Golf Digest, Mr. Stephen Hennessy, on this June 13th, Tuesday, 2017, U.S. Open Tuesday. Hello, Steve. Hey, Jeremy. What's going on? Before we get into this, there's a couple things that I want to get to um, first. You guys, and I know that, that this is your baby, um, and, and this is something which you take a lot of pride in at Golf Digest, and I honestly have not looked at it yet. Um, but tell the folks um, what they'll be seeing in their next issue and online in a really cool interactive way, which is the best golf courses in each state ranking. Yeah, so we, we do uh, our course rankings every two years in the magazine. Um, I help oversee our, our course panel, so we have 1,200 panelists across the country in Canada who evaluate courses for us and we come up with our various rankings which are regarded as the best in the game they've been around longest but um, most highly regarded as, as well they're the 100 greatest rankings those have been out since since February um, the second 100 greatest which we started producing in uh, 2011 and 100 greatest public rankings those have been out since May Best in Canada and Best in State, which will be in, in the July issue. So uh, everyone usually loves the state rankings because, you know, even if, if you're not able to play on a, on a 100 greatest course, you know, you might live close to a Best in State course. Yeah. Can maybe someday get on it, even though you know it might be private. Our, our rankings, uh, I, I would say about 70% of them are, are private, but... You know, it's an aspirational thing, I think. Uh, you know, to shoot for it and be able to say, hey, I've played, you know, 15 of the of the top 20 in, in whatever state you live in. I, I know I look at the list each year and say, oh, you know, i got to put that on my radar this year. That's in the top 20 in New Jersey. Right. I'd, I'd love to get there. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's something every reader has an interest in, uh, even if you're not a big course architecture guy or, um, you know, care too much about it. Uh, it's still kind of a, a prideful thing to say, hey, you know, these are the best courses in my state. Right. Um, by the way, just as a reader, I've always wondered this. The second hundred, did you have that already? Obviously, because of courses that did not make the first hundred but were uh, rated and thus you just had to publish it or... Uh, uh, or, so, or yeah, the thought process there was we, we never had enough, so we have a minimum of 45 ballots over our, uh, our cycle is 10 years that we keep evaluations. We never had enough um, ballots to meet, meet the minimum of 45 evaluations to produce mm. the second 100 greatest. So um, when we increased the panel a bit in 2011, that allowed us... Uh, you know, to be able to publish this list, you know, with with confidence to say that these are the these are the next 100 greatest courses in America. So we've been doing that since, and it, it's become a pretty popular thing. And you know, now people ask, well, what's number 201? You know, <laughs> and everyone always wants to expand the list. So uh, yeah, it, the, you know, the thing is, these are all great golf courses from. Number 101, uh, Sleepy Hollow, which just missed the top 100 by a couple of decimal points, uh, you know, to number 200. They're all the best courses in America. 
Um, and and by the way, folks, and 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 I know that uh, this having inside knowledge, having known Steve, but they take this seriously. This is not some fun pastime which Golf Digest does and what these Raiders do. This is serious business, and they take it seriously. The Raiders take it seriously. The folks at Golf Digest take it seriously, and I think that's why Steve, this has become so respected, is because you treat this. As any instructional piece, as any feature, as any anything, it's as important as anything that goes in the magazine. It's yeah, it's probably our second biggest franchise at, at Golf Digest behind uh, the Hot List equipment yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, to give you an example, we tell our panelists don't even keep score when you're evaluating the course because really? that clouds your that clouds your judgment. Wow, uh, to be able to evaluate each scoring criteria there's eight scoring criteria that a panelist has to evaluate a course on uh so you know if you're at a course and you're playing it and you're trying to make a birdie on every hole you're not going to study each architectural feature uh you know when walking from the tee to the green you're going to be thinking about your own game so um that's that's kind of how serious it is that you know, that might not be a fun thing for a lot of people. Hey, I can't keep score. Well, what's the point of playing golf? Well, you got to really like course design and course architecture to, to break down courses like that. So, Interesting. Um, also, um, and I'll just say this before we get into the U.S. Open, you had a very interesting piece for a, a new Golf Digest offshoot called The Loop, which is basically a collection of blog posts that had to do with golf, some that didn't, that were in various parts of the website, which you've kind of now combined into one thing, um, with non-professional golfers, but who are interesting people in the golf world, and and you did one um, uh, for this week, which is fast, uh, 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 sorry, fascinating. This week, yeah. Um, so we have a new feature called Golfers We Like. Yeah. So. I uh, took that over from Alex Myers, who's sort of our uh, our beat writer on this subject. But we we featured a a girl who's become popular on Instagram, uh, Tish Lynn, who has become a social media star. And you know she played around. She's a pro golfer and played with Paige Sporanic, uh, who your listeners might know is yeah. the social media star uh, they played together in a pro event a couple of years ago and this was kind of before Paige but you know really blew up but she told Tisha you know you should think about you know becoming poppy you know just taking uh, more pride in your social media game you know you're a pretty girl you're Filipino there's not a lot of Filipino girls on social media so long story short she uh, made that a passion and now uh, runs a brand called uh, Women with Drive, which facilitates events to get young women more interested in golf, kind of through That's Instagram, awesome. making it look cool. Yeah, I think I think it's a great way to get uh, more more young women playing the game because I think if you ask a lot of a lot of girls if they're interested in golf, they say yeah, like I might be, but they're intimidated to get started because they don't really know where to start and you know if you go to a course for the first time you know you don't really know what you're doing but this is kind of a cool way to um to connect women in, in a way that hasn't been possible before before social media so yeah anyway so it's kind of a fascinating uh brand that that they've all started and um 
you know, it'll be interesting to follow to see how it goes in the future. John Rom, John Rom, John Rom. I, I don't see a. I, I just for some reason when I think about Aaron Hill's big golf course, when I think about the U.S. Open, I think about swagger. You gotta, you know, y- 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 there's certain kind of people who thrive on a U.S. Open golf course. And for some reason, I think John Rom A is due for his first major. B, I think he has the kind of attitude that won't let anything get to him. And C, he's got a game and a short game that matches prolific driving that I think could do very well on a big golf course like that. Well, we saw at Oakmont, uh, you know, he, he finished so highly and um, wasn't the genre that he's become already, right. you know, a, a top 15 player in the world. So, you know, it's it wouldn't be a surprise to see him contend because he's done it all year. Uh, he's done it on a big stage. You know, he, he had some flashes of brilliance at the Masters, too. Um, he, he obviously has the game. He hits it a ton. I think the big thing that you'll need at Aaron Hills is sort of some creativity, a lot of distance control, uh, and the ability to, to not get down on yourself. I think we've seen from John Rahm, he gets emotional on the course the same way that Spieth does. Uh, if, he, if he misses a couple putts, you'll see it get to him. So that, that'll be a test at, at a U.S. Open, but uh, you know he's thrived in some USGA events before, so he's got the game, and I don't think anyone would be surprised at this point to, to see him in, the, in one of the final couple groups uh, on Sunday. Yeah. Talking to Steve Hennessy here from Golf Digest. Um, where, um, when you think about the U.S. Open and think about guys who may do well, obviously Dustin pops into your head. Jordan Spieth's got the mental fortitude to keep going. Um, yet we've had a weird year on the PGA Tour, right? We've got Siwoo Kim who wins the players, and I'm not sure if he's even going to be healthy enough to contend at the U.S. Open. Sergio wins the Masters and hasn't done much since. I think all of us could see a hangover coming there. We've had a bunch of big names not do anything. We've had a run of the Kisners and the Horschels and 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 uh, sorry Duffners of the world, which is great. A bunch of really solid players. But to me, if you get past Dustin and Rom and and maybe Spieth, I think we run into this next level of guy where I'm not sure what we're going to see if it's going to be hot or cold. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think you're going to see one of the, the top 20 players in the world win this. Um, a name that people aren't mentioning is Jason Day because he hasn't had a great year, but yeah. uh, we saw him kind of put the game together a little bit in Mirfield Village, so he kind of has some good momentum riding into here. A thing about Aaron Hill is that people don't know because, I mean, it's the first major here and a lot of people are seeing it and maybe even hearing about it for the first time but a big aspect is being able, being able to play through the wind and uh, and controlling your ball through different crosswinds and Jason Day is good at that he's, you know, Australians are typically good at playing that kind of game and uh, I mean the guy's still number three in the world and not getting much credit uh, so anyway, I just think he's going to do well um, out of the top group of guys. Dustin Johnson 
you know, you got to think he's going to be there the kind of year, uh, the kind of two years he's had. He might be going for a three-peat if he didn't three-putt on the 72nd hole of Chambers Bay. So, um, you know, Rory, the, the health is a question mark, but he's had a lot of time off. We've seen one swing on Instagram, so, you know, it's tough to yeah. tough to really analyze that. But um, if, if he's healthy, he's going to be a factor, you would think. Uh, I'm just not sure about him. Ricky Fowler, too. I like Ricky Fowler here. Uh, the sort of creativity you need, the discipline to, to play blind shots and kind of play away uh, from where where the lines and uh, where all the angles set you up for. Uh, I think he has the discipline to play well here. So, um, yeah, I like Ricky. I like Day and, and Dustin and, and Rom, your boy. I will give you one more name, Alex Noren. Here's a guy who has been on one of the more prolific runs in the last 12 months in all of golf and is being completely ignored because it hasn't happened in the U.S. It hasn't happened on a weekend where the where um, many Americans are, are, are paying attention to the European Tour. I think people are finally catching on that this dude is legit, he's for real, and that he's going to contend and win one of these majors eventually, and he will not be a no-name anymore. Kind of sneak it up on people the way that Danny Willett did at the Masters yeah. two years ago. Um, yeah, he, he's got to do it on a big stage. At, at the BMW, he shot a 62 the final day, so he was like eight or nine groups back. So, you know, the pressure was kind of off. So I would want to see him do it, you know, Sunday at a major, one of the last couple groups. That, that's a different kind of pressure. Um, but obviously he has the game for it, winning, you know, whatever it is, five times in the last two years. Two more questions. Number one, if Phil decides to play and this podcast is being recorded um, not during U.S. Open Week, so by the time this gets released, Phil may have made his decision. But if Phil plays, is he worth the pick? Is he worth the bet? Is he worth putting your heart and your mind and your soul behind? Because it's so often the case, he's you know made us so sad with the way he's lost. Is this scenario trying to sneak in there and help from his daughter's graduation? It's the perfect Phil story. Is it good enough that you would make the pick if he does indeed decide to play? No, I don't think it's Phil's week. Uh, it's kind of a bomber's, a bomber's ballpark, and um, he's got the creativity and the short game if he misses some greens. But it's, to me, Phil gets in his head so much, and yeah. this whole this whole thing with this his daughter and the storyline and it, it, it's just too much uh, I think that's what happened in Baltusrol last year he, he kind of thought about the moment so if he does end up playing at Aaron Hills and I'm, I'm not sure how it'll play out but uh, that storyline is going to be played up so much and it's going to be hard to put that aside so uh, I, I just doubt his ability to do that uh, which might be unfair but that's just my take you know, from from way far removed. What about you? What do you think? I I think that while it's a wonderful story that, that those of us who dabble in the game of writing would love, especially your colleague Jaime Diaz, who I mean, that's like the perfect Jaime Diaz story, isn't it? Um, but I, I I just think it's too good to be true. And Phil has had a problem this year finishing rounds. His consistency has been non-existent. And in the U.S. Open, you have to play the most consistent golf you play all year. And I think that he's just been too inconsistent. It's a golf-related reason for me. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, the U.S. Open is the ultimate storyline <clears throat> and the missing piece after all these runner-ups. I, I honestly think it's 2019 at Pebble Beach. You yeah. know, that that's kind of near and dear to his heart. He's going to be really wanting that one. Aaron Hills, I, I just don't know if he's totally invested in it to, to finally overcome that hurdle. That's the one where um, another historic storyteller, Jim Nance, thinks it'll happen. He has been saying this for yes. years that he thinks that Phil will win that that um, title there. Final thing, Steve Hennessy, Associate Editor of Golf Digest, your winner of the United States Open Championship at Aaron Hills is... Uh, I'm not picking against Dustin Johnson. The guy's on a tear. Uh, every aspect of his game is on. Um, it's just, you know, we saw the putter falter a little bit last week in Mirfield. Um, hard, hard to pick against DJ. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go chalk there. A bonus question. Will we have a rules kerfuffle? That's a good one. Um, I hope not. The odds are that we will, just from the last couple. Uh, yeah, I hope not too. You're right. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen this year. Um, Seriously. It's definitely not good for the game, but it adds, like, some intrigue, intriguing aspect. Uh, it, it's not a good thing. No, uh, 2019 think, can't come soon enough. Right. I, I think they've learned a lot from the last two years the USGA has and all the ruling bodies, so I, I think they're going to do whatever they can to prevent something like that from happening again. Say what you want about the Lexi Thompson situation. They got to her immediately as soon as they figured out that there was something wrong. Right. And that I give them a ton of credit for, and they made her know that she was playing with a penalty, and she could have looked at it later and disputed it, but at least Lexi Thompson went to the 13th tee knowing she had been penalized. Right, yeah, right or wrong, uh, yeah, they, they addressed it immediately, so that's that's a step in the right direction. Steve Hennessy, as always, thanks for coming on Teeing It Up. Always a pleasure, Jeremy, thanks. And thanks for all of you for listening. Take care. <laughs>